0: Welcome to a special episode of the Superpowered FanCast. This is Darren. So this is going to be a little longer than uh, our regular mini-episodes that I do because the subject I want to talk about uh, spans literally over 50 years of entertainment. Now as I've written before on our website, SuperpoweredFanCast.com, I'm a huge fan of Star Trek. Now, over the last 50 years, uh, Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future of humanity has permeated just all different aspects of our culture. Now, it's culminated in six series, soon to be seven, with the upcoming Star Trek Discovery, and 13 movies. Now, while it would be next to impossible to talk about everything Trek in one episode, I can direct you to my reviews of all the uh, Star Trek movies on on our website. Now, as for the series themselves, I would like to break down my two favorite episodes of each series. Now, I'll be going in chronological order based on air date rather than series timeline, since Enterprise, which aired in 2001, technically takes place before Star Trek, the original series, which originally aired in 1966. So, here are some of my favorite episodes of every iteration of Star Trek. Now, this might actually go beyond uh, one episode, so I may actually have to break it up into uh, more than one, but I promise, in my opinion, I think it'll be worth it. So, um, starting with the original series, my first first episode I'm going to talk about is called Amok Time. Now, this is the premiere episode of the second season of Star Trek, the original series. It originally aired uh, September 15th, 1967. Now, it was written by Theodore Sturgeon and directed by Joseph Pevney. Now, the episode is significant because it introduces many new elements into the Star Trek lexicon, specifically about Spock and the Vulcans. Now, in the episode, Dr. McCoy is concerned about Spock's erratic behavior. His outbursts and threats are uncharacteristic in a species, prize for their logic and when Spock yells at Nurse Chapel for bringing him some food he asks uh, Kirk to divert the ship to his home planet of Vulcan. Now Kirk agrees but the ship is diverted to uh, Altair 6 for a diplomatic mission. Now Kirk orders Spock to sickbay and Dr. McCoy discovers that Spock's blood chemistry is off. He's forced to tell the captain that he's suffering from Pon Far. Now, Ponphar occurs every seven years and is the culmination of the Vulcan need for emotional and physical release. Now, Vulcans are known for their logical approach to every situation. It's the cornerstone of their culture, but it wasn't always the case. See, Vulcans have the same emotions as everyone else, but they have suppressed those emotions. So if they not mate during the Ponphar, they actually die. So Spock, without his knowledge, has diverted the Enterprise back to Vulcan, and Kirk decides to maintain course, at the possible cost of his career. Now, when they arrive, uh, they hail the surface and find out that Spock is part of an arranged marriage, to a woman named T'pring. Now, when they beam down to the planet for the ceremony, T'pring arrives with another man named Stan. Now, she refuses. Uh, Spock and calls for the, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I'll try it anyway the Kun Ut Calife, which is a fight to the death for her hand. Now, Spock accepts, assuming that he'll face Stan, but Dupring chooses Kirk as her, companion, as her champion instead. Now, Kirk agrees, despite Spock's objections, and the two begin to fight. Now, McCoy intervenes during the fight and asks for a pause in order to inject Kirk with a compound to help him function better on Vulcan's atmosphere. As the fight gets more intense, uh, Spock gets the upper hand and strangles Kirk. McCoy pronounces him dead and beams him back to the ship. When Spock confronts T'Pring, she logically explains why she chose Kirk. Explain. Specify. Why the challenge? And why you chose my captain as your champion? Stan wanted me, I wanted him. I see no logic in preferring Stan over me. You have become much known among our people, Spock. Almost a legend. And as the years went by, I came to know that I did not want to be the consort of legend. But by the laws of our people, I could only divorce you by the caliphate. There was also Stun, who wanted very much to be my consort, and I wanted him. If your captain were Victor, he would not want me, and so I would have Stun. If you were Victor, you would free me because I had dared to challenge, and again I would have Stun. But if you did not free me, it would be the same, for you would be gone, and I would have your name and your property. And Stum would still be there. Logical. Flawlessly logical. Once he returns to the ship, he turns himself over to the doctor so that he can face charges for murdering the captain. Now he discovers that Kirk is alive and McCoy injected him with a drug that mimics death. Kirk's career is saved, but the intervention of Vulcan, by the intervention of Vulcan leader to now, what I enjoy about this episode is the insight into Vulcan culture and the continuing strength of the bond between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Now, this leads me to the next episode of the original series that I really enjoyed. Now, this one's called Let This Be Your Battlefield. Oh, let that, no, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Now, this is the 15th episode of the third season. It was originally aired on January 10th, 1969. It was written by Oliver Crawford and directed by Judd Taylor. Now, admittedly, this episode is so heavy-handed in its message that there's almost no subtlety left, but the episode is very good at delivering the message that it's trying to convey. See, The episode begins with the Enterprise on the way to planet Arianus on a mission to to decontaminate the planet's polluted atmosphere. Now, the sensors pick up a Federation shuttlecraft, That was reported stolen from Starbase 4. See, Kirk intercepts the shuttle and takes it aboard. Now, they find the pilot of the shuttle who is injured and take him to sickbay. He awakes later and tells uh, Dr. McCoy and Kirk that his name is Lokai. He's a political refugee from the planet Charon, and he asks for asylum. Now, Spock comments on the fact that Lokai's skin is split evenly down the middle, with one side being black and and the other being white. Now, the Enterprise sensors encounter another ship, which collides with the Enterprise and disintegrates, but not before beaming its passenger to the ship. He beams himself directly to the bridge and identifies himself as Beale. Now, with the exception of the colors being reversed on his face, Beale looks exactly like Lokai. See, Beale explains to the crew that he is the commissioner of police on Charon, and that Lokai is a fugitive from justice that he's been chasing for almost 50,000 years. <clears throat> now he demands that Kirk hand over his prisoner, and Lokai tries to explain that his people are slaves on their planet, that they've been persecuted, denied their civil rights, and been victims of racial segregation. So Beale doesn't deny these facts and demands that Kirk take him and his prisoner to Sharon. Kirk refuses, citing the Prime Directive, and continues to Arianus. After ordering the two off the bridge, they, bes- they proceed to begin fighting, using a kind of personalized force field. Now, after separating the two of them, Beal takes over control of the Enterprise and changes its course towards Sharon. Now during this time he and Lokai continue to argue about the conditions on their planet. See Lokai continues to argue for his asylum as he tells the crew about how his planet discriminates against his people. Beal argues that his people were good to Lokis and that they are ungrateful. Now, exhausting every means of retaking the ship's controls, Kirk begins the self-destruct sequence. Now, as it counts down, Beale determines that Kirk is serious and releases control of the ship. Now, Once the Arianus mission is completed, Beale takes control of the ship again, disabling the auto-destruct, and they travel to Charon. Now, Once they arrive at the planet, the censures show that there is no life on the surface. See, A global war has devastated the surface and killed everyone. They determine that the years of racial strife have culminated in the destruction of their entire species. The loci and Beale discover that they are the only two left, but instead of abandoning their hate, they continue. When confronted by Kirk, Beale's explanation for their continued animus is that loci is different. He's different because even though both are equally black and white on each side, they are reversed in color. And even though the Enterprise crew finds the distinction trivial, Beale and Loki continue to fight about it. They blame each other for the planet's destruction and fight throughout the ship until Kirk allows them to beam down to the surface where they continue to fight. Now, Lieutenant Ahura asks if their racial hate is all they ever had and Kirk responds that it's all that they have left. Now, admittedly, This episode, again, is very heavy-handed in the execution of his message, but sometimes subtlety is overrated. The episode talks about a topic that most television at the time wouldn't have faced, and, like The Twilight Zone, could only have been explored in science fiction. So, coming out of the original series, which ended in 1969, there was an 18-year gap between the original series and its successor, Star Trek The Next Generation. Now when the new series aired, it was successful, but everyone wondered if it could surpass the original with a cast of relative unknowns and set almost a hundred years in the future. See, this was the Star Trek I, had, I began to watch. Even though I started watching reruns of the original with my dad, Star Trek The Next Generation was my Star Trek. See, it's hard to pin down two episodes that I really enjoy in the seven seasons that it was on the air, but if I had to narrow them down, Here are the two that I would have chosen. Well, technically, I would have. I'm choosing them. So, these (laughs) are the ones I've chosen. So, the first episode that I want to talk about deals with one of the main pillars of the entire Star Trek series, Exploration. The episode is called Clues, and it's the 14th episode of the fourth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. It originally aired in February of 1991 was written by Bruce D. Arthurs and Joe Minoski and directed by Les Landau. So the enterprise is exploring a Ttari class star system. see, long-range sensors detect an M-class planet, and that's a planet that's capable of sustaining life. So as they approach the planet, the ship is unexpectedly caught in a wormhole. A moments later, the, the crew begins to wake up. Now the only person not affected by the wormhole is data. Who explains to the captain and the rest of the bridge crew that they were unconscious for a few moments? The sensor logs indicate that they were out for a whole day. Now, instead of going back and risking the ship and crew again, Picard tells Data to send a probe to get information from the planet they detected. See, the information states that the planet is not M-class, but a frozen gas giant. Data insists that the probe is uh, affected by the wormhole and convinces Picard to move the ship away from the synth from the system. Now, after the Enterprise leaves, uh, incidents on the ship begin to contradict Data's account of the wormhole incident. Dr. Crusher notices that an experiment she began is showing a day's worth of growth. Worf comes to the doctor complaining of pain in his wrist, and under further examination shows that the wrist was broken and mended by a professional. Picard begins to suspect that the crew was out for longer than Data told him, that Data, who is incapable of lying, is deceiving him and the rest of the crew. See, Picard confronts Data about the inconsistencies in his story, and the evidence from the logs and sensors that they have, and shows that it's they've been tampered with by Data himself. Now he states that he can't explain his actions. Now Picard recognizes that Data would only be doing this to protect the crew, but he decides to take the ship back to the star system. Now, ignoring Data's warning, the Enterprise re-enters the system and Counselor Troi is taken over by an alien presence. The alien-controlled Troi enters the bridge and informs them that the plan has failed and that the Enterprise has to be destroyed. Picard doesn't understand and Data explains that the planet that they detected is the home of the Paxins. See, The Paxans are xenophobic and do not want their existence to be known. They are highly advanced in their technology and use the wormhole to stun ships and move them out of the system. Unfortunately, because Data cannot be stunned, the Paxans were unable to complete their plan. See, Data revived the crew as the Paxons attempted to move the Enterprise away, and the alien who was in possession of Troy broke Worf's wrist when he attempted to subdue her. See, Picard offers the Paxans a deal in exchange for sparing the ship. They would use their technology to alter the memories of the crew and he orders Data to never tell anyone what happened. The Paxans agreed and released the ship. The fact that they returned angers the Paxons who decide that they have to destroy the Enterprise to protect themselves. Picard tries to convince them that the plan did work, but they left too many clues behind that piqued their curiosity. Worf's broken wrist, Data's behavior, Dr. Crush's experiment... They created a mystery that they had to solve and that if they destroy the Enterprise, more ships will come to investigate why. The Paxons agree to try again and work with the Enterprise crew to not only change the ship's systems, but to also eliminate any clues left behind. The crew is stunned again and the ship is moved out of Paxon space. When the crew awakens, Data explains the situation, Picard accepts Data's explanation, And the Enterprise continues on its mission. So while Star Trek The Next Generation has several episodes that dealt with action and adventure, my second favorite episode of the series was more subdued and personal. It was called The Inner Light. Now this is the 25th episode of the fifth season and was written by Morgan Gendel and Peter Allen Fields and directed by Peter Lauritsen. So the Enterprise is Conducting a survey of the Parvanium system, when they come upon an unknown probe. Now it scans the ship and directs an energy beam at Captain Picard. When he awakens, he finds himself on a planet he doesn't recognize. Eileen, a woman who calls herself his wife, begins to tend to him, and he tries and tries to get him to remember that his name is Kamen, and he's an iron weaver recovering from a fever sickness on the planet of Catan. As he tries to find a means to escape, he decides to go along with the illusion acclimating himself into the society. He starts to live as Cayman, making friends with Bataille, uh, spending time with Eileen, even learning to play the flute, and invariably starting a family. Now, during this time, Picard discovers that there's an issue with the planet's sun which is causing a worldwide drought Now the elders on the planet mostly ignore his pleas on the Enterprise the crew tries to desperately, tries desperately to block the probe's hold over Picard but every attempt either fails or puts the captain at risk for death they trace the probe's path back to its origin which is a planet whose sun had gone nova over a thousand years before Kamen or Picard, continues to live for years on the planet, outliving his wife and uh, eventually working as a scientist. He and his adult daughter discover that the drought is a precursor to the end of life on Catan, and Kamen pleads with his friend in the government, Bataille, for them to do something. Now, Bataille tells him that the government already knows the situation, but because they don't have the technological resources necessary to evacuate the planet, they're trying to avoid panicking everyone. They've been testing rockets for years, but the most they can accomplish are artificial satellites. Resolving himself to the fate of the planet, Cayman continues to live, playing with his grandchildren. Now another rocket is launched, and as Kamen walks outside to witnesses, to witness it, he sees Eileen and Bataille at the ages there were when he first woke up on Catan. They explain that knowing the planet was doomed the leaders placed the memories of their culture into a probe and launched it into space hoping that someone would discover it and tell their story preserving their culture and the memory of their species once came realizes that it's him he awakes on the bridge of the enterprise again as picard now after telling the crew of the decades that he spent on the planet He discovers that he was only unconscious for 25 minutes. The probe deactivates and Picard has it beamed aboard the ship. Commander Riker finds a small box inside it and he hands it to Picard, who is both pleased and sad to discover that it is Cayman's flute. Picard sits down and plays a tune on it as the episode ends. And What I sincerely love the most about this episode is the ability to live a lifetime in a moment and how time, memory, and perception are all linked. The almost throwaway episode conveys so much emotion that it has resonance to Picard's life long after the episode ends, is referenced many times afterwards, showing that it does in fact truly affect him. So that's the end of this first mini-episode. My look back on my favorite episodes of Star Trek, and we talked about Star Trek The Original Series and Star Trek The Next Generation. In the next episode, it will be uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And Star Trek Voyager. So uh, let me know what you think about Star Trek. What are your favorite episodes? What do you like? What don't you like? Uh, you can let us know by rating and reviewing on I- reviewing us on iTunes. Uh, you can email us at superpoweredfancast at gmail.com. Uh, you can leave comments on our website, superpoweredfancast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at superpoweredfan. And you can uh, watch our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube.com slash SuperpoweredFanCast. And even find our, our Facebook page as well. Facebook.com slash SuperpoweredFanCast. So, until our next mini-episode, this is Darren with the Fancast, signing off. Saying, live long and prosper.